0: hi everyone i'm colby horton and i'm frank humata and we'd like to welcome you to this episode of engaging in the next an original podcast from association briefings where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology marcom strategy people membership and money so frank how are you holding up
1: pretty good and that's that's very kind of you to ask Uh, (laughs) for our listeners colby and i were recently in nashville for asae's annual meeting And these are full days of meetings, educational sessions, you know, working on the trade show floor at our booth. And then you had the nightly events. And then followed by that, you might check out a a bar or two to listen to some live country music.
0: And did you notice that a a lot of the bars were named after country artists? Yeah. And for the record, I never once saw Blake Shelton, Luke Bryan, Jason (laughs) Aldean, or Miranda Lambert while we were there. But the bars were pretty awesome. I gotta say, it was great being back in person with so many association folks. I didn't see you there, but I don't
1: know if you knew what my favorite bar was. (laughs) Which one was that? It is the uh, Darius Rucker, previously known as the lead singer of Hooting the Blowfish Bar. That was pretty catchy. Is that trademarked? (laughs) Uh, All in all though, I'm very well rested. I did lose my voice singing, so I'm happy that's back.
0: Yeah, aren't we all glad that's back? Nashville was really an incredible host city, whether you were in an education session during the day or conversing on your way to an after hours party or, or listening to a live band on Broadway at night, creative storytelling was taking place all around the city. Absolutely. The, the keynote speaker
1: could have hit you with an aha moment that had you frantically taking notes down or a musician would sing a, a lyric that really resonated with you. And In both cases, you're captivated and it made you feel
0: like they were speaking to you directly and that's storytelling at its best. Absolutely. And because they represent such niche audiences, associations have a great opportunity to engage with their industries through creative storytelling. I mean, we preach brand storytelling all the time. It's on our websites, it's in our strategy calls, it's in any presentation we give. And something that can't be discounted from the storytelling process is data. Data you gather from your members, or your industry that makes your association's message more memorable or more impactful or just more useful. And our guest today will go into detail on the importance of not starting with the data you already have, but rather the data you need in sharing these stories. That's right. And here's a little bit about her story.
1: Audra Krusey is a director of public affairs and digital engagement for AHIP, the national association whose members provide health coverage care services, and solutions to hundreds of millions of Americans every day. Audra has previous experience in developing digital communications and storytelling strategy for the Consumer Brands Association and the International Dairy Foods Association. She is proud to be a native Texan and got her start in storytelling communications as an ice cream media spokesperson traveling the country to
0: talk about everyone's favorite frozen dessert. Ooh, maybe we'll get the scoop on her favorite flavor during the interview. Oh, wow. (laughs) Pretty bad pun. (laughs) Welcome
1: to the podcast, Audra.
2: Hi, Frank. Great to be here with you. And hi, Colby.
1: Hi, Audra. We are glad to have you. So let's not waste any time. Can you please define, (laughs) I didn't mean to rhyme there. Can you please define (laughs) data storytelling for us and why it's important?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so excited to be talking to you guys about data and storytelling. I think it is one of my great passions, and I'm so lucky that I get to do it as a job. And I think that you don't necessarily have to be a communicator. Anyone and everyone can tell stories. So I'm excited to share how. To define storytelling is really at its core about two things. The first is credibility, and the second is color. And you need both to have a really strong story. Credibility is your strong data, your big facts, the things that make your stories land with people, but it won't stick in people's minds without the second thing, which is color. That is the narrative that you package it in that makes it sticky. It is so important to tell stories. Okay, what would you rather do? Binge a Netflix series or binge a series of white papers? You are doing people a favor when you tell them a story. You meet people where they're at and really in a format they're amenable to.
0: You probably just gave Netflix an idea. I know they need help with their (laughs) subscription rate. So let's let's lay off the white papers. For sure. (laughs) You know, I really absolutely love this topic because I'm a huge fan of data and I'm an even bigger fan of storytelling. So, what you're saying here is that I can combine those two passions to use Mm -hmm. data to creatively, and I think that's the key word, creatively tell my story. And I absolutely love that. And you need to. Yeah,
2: Yeah. Like it, one doesn't exist without the other.
0: Uh, Agreed. So tell me some of the advantages of data storytelling for associations.
2: Sure. And I think this one is pretty obvious. You don't need me to tell you that like people get 100 notifications on their phone when they wake up in the morning. It's not enough to just blast people like an e-blast. Like I've banished that word from my (laughs) vernacular. No more blasting people with information. They get blasted all the time. You are totally in competition with the attention economy, and you're not going to beat the algorithm there without like a little bit of creativity, like you mentioned, Colby. I'm not saying that uh, this is my saying, but I love this saying. My team used to say that you don't tell bedtime statistics to your kids. You tell them bedtime stories,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and that is like one of the philosophies I've taken to approaching the way that you communicate data, uh, especially for associations. That's really the advantage of storytelling. You totally cut through the noise and you quickly gather an audience that's willing to hear you out that way and you won't put them to sleep.
1: (laughs) Audra, when should associations be telling stories?
2: Often. (laughs) But really, the answer is when your goal is one of either of three things, which are in the first case to legitimize your industry, which is something that we call industry narrative. To legitimize what you want, which we call policy advocacy, or really to legitimize the problems you face, which is issues advocacy. And sometimes in an association, you are tasked with doing all three. An easy way, actually, to find your audience in each one of those scenarios is by asking yourself who you have to convince in each one of those scenarios, and then you walk back to write your story from there. So that's kind of the helpful key is understanding who you're talking to, why you want to talk to them. And then the story that you want to tell becomes increasingly clear.
0: Yeah, I think that what you're describing, too, also adds a lot of authenticity to the association as well, as as opposed to just throwing out stats. You're telling a story using it, and it humanizes the organization a little bit better.
2: And oftentimes, when you're thinking about how to make something authentic or make it human, picture telling your mom. (laughs) Sometimes, especially here in D.C., I know associations are everywhere, but in D.C., sometimes things get so politically wonky and intense and like people talk about the CR, continuing resolution. And I have to think my mom would not know what that is. You know? <laughs> right. So you really do have to take a step back and picture the people themselves you're talking to and your storytelling and data collection becomes a lot easier. You
0: know, I think back to college literature courses and professors talking about what makes a great story. And if I'm remembering right, great stories have a key set of characters, a setting, a conflict, and a resolution. I hope I'm making my uh, college professors proud there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see, we'll see what the comments say. But when you think about data storytelling, I think that a lot of those elements are still present. I mean, basically you have a group of stakeholders within your association, your board, your exec team, your department team, We'll call them your characters. Uh, You're noticing some issue, which I would think would be your setting, caused by something, your conflict, and needing a solution, your resolution. And this is backed by data. So in your opinion, how do you craft a compelling data narrative? And maybe more importantly, what are some mistakes to avoid?
2: So it's funny that you say that because I am also feeling the pressure here. I was a literature major, so I need to let my degree shine a little bit. (laughs) But the thing about stories that you've also mentioned that alluded to here a little bit is that they're not new. You're not having to reinvent the wheel. You just need to consider yourself a storyteller. And when you consider yourself and you put yourself in the position of being like, all right, I'm a storyteller, that's when your cast of characters becomes clear. That's when the lines you need to draw and the stories you need to make and the conclusions and persuasions you need people to draw to become very easy to identify. And you might actually have some characters of personalities on your association boards too. How do you make those people shine in thought leadership programs? How do you make people understand that associations aren't a big blank brick wall, like they're people inside that have stories, have passions about why they're showing up to represent the people they do every day, and then use the tried and true method of storytelling that every literature professor will bring up on a board to make it happen. Some of the, and you had also asked about mistakes that people make. (laughs) The biggest mistake I see communications people or storytellers or people in associations in general do, which is very forgivable, but I would caution you against it, is starting with the data you have instead of using the data you need. Digging around in your file folders or something to put into a tweet or a member email is like, like staring in the fridge and hoping to get hungry even worse than you're stuck trying to convince other people that they should be hungry for the same kind of food. Like, I promise there is a better way. (laughs) You will hew more closely to your storytelling goals if you have the right lens going in. And some of the best storytelling data that is powerful has one of these three qualities. And I can kind of break it down for you guys here. That data is either memorable, impactful, or useful. A really fun example of a triple whammy of this is, in fact, I have from a survey I worked on before that found that a quarter of people think that recycling is harder than doing IKEA furniture or taxes. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's memorable because of the excruciating relatable experience of putting together like IKEA furniture and losing dowels and stuff it's impactful because a quarter of people agree that something's wrong here which opens the policy dialogue for better rules and regulations to come to the front and lastly the useful part of this was that we released this information right before tax day so everyone who was like mm, I need a tax headline could immediately pick up our statistics excuse me statistics and run with it so really like don't dig around in your file folders and say what can i use think about what would be most useful to you and it it becomes way easier after that.
0: So, Fred, go ahead and uh, cross IKEA off our list of potential <laughs> sponsors, <Gosh>. um, <laughs> if, if you don't mind. But I think you're bringing up a great point too about releasing the story, releasing the data at a time when it can be consumable and shared, right? And, and instead of finding that moldy sandwich in your refrigerator to serve, <laughs> you're, you're 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 bringing out a good story for others to put out there attributed to the organization, which is always a great story.
2: Yeah. And really the stories you tell don't necessarily have to be tied to an event your association is hosting or an email marketing campaign you're situated on. Like they can be just things that are, that you notice out in the world that are happening in a relevant manner and how you can participate there because uh, storytelling is a reputational tool too, and I don't want it to be confined to just the day-to-day of association tasks and responsibilities only. It can be a lot more than that.
1: Great, and you gave some examples already, but you know, without spending a lot of money and resources, how can an association get started with data storytelling?
2: So this one is really fun because there are actually a ton of ways. Uh, you do not, like, if there's one thing you walk away with today is knowing is that you don't need a whole lot of money to get a lot of data that's going to really propel your stories and help you out a lot. You just need to go looking in the right places. And that's why looking for the data you need as opposed to the data you already have is so critical because it unlocks a ton of possibilities. So, for example, um, check your reporter info inbox I know we have one as communicators, um, and maybe your team's shared one that you kind of, or just maybe even the info folder. Why are people emailing you? What's the most commonly asked question? That is the perfect example of people asking you to tell them a story, right? And one of my favorite examples of this is that um, we were reminded in my dairy association days that no question is too simple. (laughs) because the number one most asked question in our reporter ingredient box was, is vanilla the most popular ice cream flavor? And we were like, yeah, of course, why? Like We didn't think that was a really important story to tell, but it turns out that no one had a good citation for it. And we're like, oh yeah, we can easily prove that. So we talked to our members, figured out a survey solution, and we got cited by the New York Times because we overlooked something so simple we forgot that these stories are things that people are asking us to tell and you have to respond to that. So everyone go right now, go check your info inbox and see what's in there. (laughs) Another idea is to take advantage of Zoom polls. I imagine you're often having calls with member companies or individuals you represent. And oftentimes this is a quorum of people, so poll them. If your regulatory committee is meeting and that means that that's 80% of your membership, Ask them about what is keeping them up at night or maybe don't (laughs) ask them what they're most optimistic about in the year ahead. If you have chief diversity officers or people meeting together on a diversity, equity and inclusion committee, ask them where the one biggest area they see the most growth potential or that they're most excited about. Or maybe if you have your board on Zoom, like ask them what number one legislative priority is like going to be the thing going into the midterms. You know it depends on what kind of story you're trying to tell but that is a great and easy way to get a um pulse on the people you represent and it's anonymous so definitely talk to your legal team about like making sure that you're following like antitrust policies but really because it's anonymous and you can scrub the data it's a good way to get a quick stat for the people of whose stories you're trying to tell i have a couple more examples here great. one is to use google and use it effectively <laughs> Look out the progress supports of the people or organizations you represent. If the people you represent have made similar commitments to sustainability, community improvement or equity, tally them up and then you'll get a powerful stat about who you represent and the efforts they're making in those areas. Another really great Google <laughs> thing to use is Google Trends. That can help you prove that your interest in your industry or profession or associations topics have grown over time. For example, at least in the health insurance universe, this one is a really powerful story. Think about the story you can tell when you find out that the words virtual therapy were Googled the most just in the two weeks after COVID lockdown started. That's a totally true fact, and it paints a really powerful picture. Another example um, that we've used in the past is Google Maps. I was working on a project again about recycling where we were mapping out California counties and how far you would have to drive to recycling centers. We tabulated that on Google maps with the amount of average recycling rates and a couple of other statistics and found that you could spend like nine days driving just to recycle in some California counties, which is nuts. (laughs) And really there's endless ways to think about where to find the data if you know the story you're trying to tell.
0: Interesting. Yeah, when when we talk data in general, There's always this, I'm going to call it a misconception about who within the organization owns that data, who's responsible in maintaining the data. And the poor IT folks are the ones who people always point to because data tends to, to fall in line with technology, right? But I think any progressive association knows that data resides and should be maintained across all departments within. The same thing can be said here. As well, when we start talking about data storytelling, in your opinion, what department should be responsible for data storytelling? Since we're talking storytelling, should it just be within the the Marcom department or does it go beyond that?
2: Um, I think you already know the answer and everyone listening knows the answer. And that is all of them.
0: <laughs> oh, that's what we were hoping for. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is everyone's responsibility not just the communicator or the um, social media person who's knocking on your door asking for stuff. (laughs) If you think about the world we live in, you can't escape data. You have data everywhere and all it's always a part of your job, no matter what job you have. And if you work in an association, you are in the business of telling stories about the people and companies and industries that you represent. So really it's an essential job function, right? So (laughs) You can, no matter what job you have, you can be thinking about the specific data that you handle every day, the people that you talk to, and the stories and anecdotes that they experience, and package those up and think about how they can ladder up to the larger story of talking about the things you do every day. You should absolutely be sharing that with your communications department. Having been in several different communications departments, I can speak from experience that it is very helpful. But Really, it's about understanding your role as someone who is a storyteller, no matter if you're public facing or not, because you have vital information and that vital information can be very valuable.
0: I recently moderated a session about managing data within an association, how to acquire it, maintain it, utilize it. That's, that's what the plan was, but the attendees took it on a different track. And the conversation really went down the path of data visualization. So judging by that and judging by other things I've been reading, I think we're going to hear more and more about data visualization tools and their benefits. I mean, heck, even Excel has has always offered a way to turn data into a nice looking chart to read that data. I mean, data visualization on a somewhat elementary level, right? So... Audra, what's the difference between data visualization and data storytelling?
2: So interesting that you say that about data visualization tools, and especially in the context of storytelling, it matters a lot who you're talking to and it matters the tools that you use. Some specifically the tools that I've used in the past are Nuvi, Uvi. It's a social monitoring program that will pull reports for you um, in a very classy and easy to understand way based off of topics you're monitoring. Also, if you don't have a graphic design department, Canva will absolutely work in a pinch. They have responsive graphic design that you can easily put a stat or a bar chart into, which I've used often before. But the thing I want to caution no matter what data visualization platform you're using, is that intense charts and graphs can intimidate your audiences and scare them away. And the biggest advice, I think, and I'd actually be interested to hear about like where your conversation netted out because as a communicator, it's so important to not intimidate your audience, but also to not make them do work.
0: Good point. And I think, you know, your your standard charts and graphs, makes them do the work that they want to do. And so <laughs> it's kind of a, a moot point to tell your story in data form by using a bunch of charts and graphs. Right. <laughs> so it, it makes it makes sense. I do think that you know the visualization is is somewhat important. I think everyone digests content in a different way. Some people like to read it. Some people certainly like to see it. And I think being able to combine those two elements together, which I think is kind of where data storytelling goes, the best of both worlds.
2: A hundred percent. And it's great that you bring that up because I have an example that I think really straddles the arena between data storytelling and data visualization in a way that doesn't intimidate people. It actually makes it really easy to picture because again, you've got to make that connection fast, easy, and quick in today's digital age, right? It really comes down to like medium verse message. So the um, example that I want to bring up is something that my team at AHIP created about the healthcare dollar. You don't need me to tell you that uh, ins- the world of health insurance is very complicated and health policy is super complicated. So it is really a challenge to try to communicate some of the things that we are tasked with. And what we wanted to do was really quit, you know, we pictured like, who are we talking to? And it's like people who are confused about where their money goes in the healthcare system. So we put up a dollar and we chopped it into pieces and colored it in with different percents to show them at a quick glance, how healthcare is financed in the United States. And that does not require an econ degree to like interpret. <laughs> so it's a great example of how you can maybe ditch the intimidating graphs and charts, but still stick to things that really, Lean into the power of visualization because that is so important.
1: And Andre, this has been extremely helpful and also very entertaining. You know, before <laughs> we ask you to to buckle up for our, our final segment of the show, I wanted to know if you had any closing thoughts.
2: I would just love to empower anyone listening to this. To think of themselves as a storyteller, not in a cheesy way, but in a like, this is my job kind of way to be empowered to know that the information and people and work that you do every day matters and sharing that information in a way that can relate to people by using the data you touch every day and connecting with the powerful narratives that you know will resonate with the people you're talking to is not intimidating. It's fun and it's important.
0: Great. Well, thanks, Audra. I mean, we really appreciate you being a part of today's discussion. As Frank mentioned, before we wrap up the episode, we'd like to put you in the hot seat one last time for our briefings minute. So here's how it works. We're going to fire off a series of questions just to learn a little bit more about you. Just give us the first answer that comes to mind. Ready? Ready, set. All right. Well, here we go what's an early 2000s rap song you know all the words to
2: (laughs) early 2000s man i'm gonna like age myself that was like middle school chain hang low that's the one
1: nice (laughs) audrey let's talk about flowers why are tulips so great
2: Oh, I love tulips. I have the privilege of going to the Kuchenhof Gardens in Holland to see the tulips themselves, enough to where I have tulip salt and pepper shakers at my house. They're beautiful and colorful, and they make me happy. And that is (laughs) all I need.
0: So what flavor ice cream doesn't exist that needs to be created?
2: Ooh, hard one, because... The most superior ice cream flavor of all is mint chocolate chip, and I will fight anyone (laughs) who says otherwise. Agreed. I'm particularly a fan of Bride's Cake Amaretto flavor ice cream, so if we did like a mashup, that would save me some freezer space. I would say that would be like the ultimate combo that doesn't exist.
1: Great answer. Now back to plants. How many do you (laughs) have in your apartment right now?
2: Oh my gosh, you guys are putting me on blast. I have 100. 100. More than 100. I do, and they're multiplying. Send help.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of help, uh, which superhero has the most random superpower?
2: Ooh. I feel like Ant-Man has got to be out there for one of those movies that, like, you know, obviously, like, I'm from a Marvel household. I've seen every one of the Marvel movies. I feel like Ant-Man is such a hard sell, but they did such a good job of it that shrinking and (laughs) growing could be, like, a whole set of movies but really though like the wings the wings are where it's at so I'd say that is the most random but endearing
1: and if you could be a guest on any tv show which one would you choose and what would your role be
2: Ooh, interesting fictional or reality anything
1: let's do reality
2: (laughs) I have a friend who was on survivor and the a friend of a friend of a friend and man the mind games you have to play to survive there not just you know cooking crickets over a fire but like socially is fascinating to me i would immediately be out i can't lie
0: <laughs> so if you were a transformer what vehicle would you turn into
2: <laughs> Ooh, i had a white mustang in college oh r.i.p um <laughs> don't have it anymore but man if i could just you know get back there, I'd be happy.
1: Let's say your association requests you work remotely from a different country for a year. Where do you go?
2: Where do I go? Mexico City. I've never eaten better in my life. Oh, <laughs> so good. Tortillas, pozole, conchas, like pastries, horchata, uh, nopales, mm, so good. Yeah, I would move there just for the food.
0: Do we have a new sponsor, Colby? Yeah, sounds <laughs> like it. <laughs> So if you weren't working in the association world, what would be your hypothetical dream job?
2: So I am a big old books fan, and I used to work at the old books library in college when I was there, cataloging some of the first books that were printed in the United States. No, in North America. Yeah, old, old. And I'm such a nerd. Um, I'm so lucky that I get to live in Washington, D.C. and I'm at the Library of Congress very frequently. So if I could like be like Nicolas Cage, like flipping around in the back of the books and like finding our nation's secrets through ancient books, I would be one happy employee.
0: Coming soon to a theater near you. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's the buzzer. Thanks again for joining us, Audra.
2: This was fabulous. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of Engaging in the Next. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association world. And be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about association briefings, be sure to visit us online at associationbriefings.com. See everyone next time. See y'all.